Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status is the only K-12 data analytics platform designed to turn analysis into engagement. To learn more about how School Status can change your school district, head over to schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, Episode 60, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. In a divided political climate and record low voter turnout, some states are now stepping up their civics lessons in the classroom. Also, is it possible for schools to overparent? Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we speak with a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, Roxana Eldon joins us. Roxana is the author of See Me After Class, and she has a brand new book just about to hit the shelves. She joins us for a first look. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by teacher extraordinaire, Alyssa Pruitt, and education data expert, Russ Davis of School Status. Alyssa, how you doing? I'm great. Russ, how's it going up there in Jackson? It is uh, going pretty well. Um, the uh, the year has turned, the, the budget year has turned, and so we are getting ready to make 50 or 60,000 people very happy this semester. So working on that. That is very good. And Alyssa, I know uh, you're about to make, how many students are you going to have? 400 students really happy this year? More than 400. Yeah? Yeah. That's great. Like that's, We're getting ready. I'm ready. Classroom's ready now. Like It you, looks great. You, you could have parents show up tomorrow. <laughs> yes. It might be a sham at this point because everything looks great, but I'd still need to get my class rosters and get everything organized that way, but it looks great. Excellent. Can I ask a loaded question? Okay. <laughs> You're, you moved into a classroom, and you can cut this out if you want, Nick, but you moved into this classroom from an old classroom or like from somebody else's classroom, right? Like mm-hmm. another teacher? Yes. How much stuff did you throw away? Oh, why well, don't need these. <laughs> no, we're, we're keeping this in there. Go ahead. Oh, heaven. Oh, gosh. A lot. Because I know your personality <laughs> type. <laughs> I, I am a very organized art teacher. Is that what you mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So, yeah. Um, sure, a that's lot what I mean. of it was not usable anymore. You know, there's so much excellent storage in my new classroom. Like, it's, it's now, awesome. now there is. Well, <laughs> exactly. I'm just, I'm just saying. So, I could see where the previous excellent art teacher um, had just used all the storage and they just never got around to cleaning out stuff. But she was even, I mean, she was, she said, I haven't opened that cabinet in six years. I don't know what's in there. And I was like, well, (laughs) I definitely am not going to need what's ever in there. (laughs) Did you uh, find any rodents of any kind? I have an extreme phobia with that. I know. We covered this in a previous podcast. I don't want to talk about it, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's, oh, no. it's been an episode of Fear Factor Teacher Edition oh. all summer, but I think um, we're good now. I I am. You think? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, if any student, if any students are listening, you know exactly the prank to play. I don't have to say anything else. So. <laughs> well, and any teacher listening knows that that's just part of back to school. Right. I yeah, mean, the yeah. do- it's been dormant all summer. And so, yeah, it's yeah. just part of it. It's just probably a lot of people are braver than I am. Yeah. Well, let's get our mind off of the rodents <laughs> and, and jump into the teacher's lounge. I'm sure you have something more exciting to talk about. Yes, or- I'm so excited for today. So, boys, and Wes, I am not going to let you answer you all of these questions. I want to have a little quiz show, a little civics quiz oh, show. All right. Um, please I didn't know this was happening. close your laptops. No cheating. 
Um, okay. And I would like some theme music also for my okay. quiz. I will okay. So I'm going to let Russ answer after Nick because I feel like Russ knows all the answers because I feel like well I'm just saying (laughs) I mean I think it's obvious what it means I I don't don't think anybody doubts what it means (laughs) if you want to just come out and say it that's fine too I'm just saying Russ is the smartest person I know and Nick is the second smartest fifth fifth smartest person I know (laughs) (laughs) wow fantastic okay so here comes the questions so much fun are you ready Nick Mm -hmm. Russ if you Mm -hmm. if you answer prematurely you're out of the game all right. Okay. Nick, how many amendments does the Constitution have? Oh, man. Is it 26? No, that's incorrect. Russ? Ooh, it's been a long time since I've been amendments. We, um, and it's worth noting. Russ, that... are you Googling right now? I'm not Googling. I hear typing and I it's hear worth delay noting... tactic. No, no, no. Hold on a second. It's worth noting that I failed the amendments test in my civics class in high oh, school. So whatever. come on. I need an Pick answer. Let's go. There are 32? Incorrect. 30, next okay. question. How, oh, you're going to tell us? I'll oh, go through the answers at the end. Okay. All right. Okay. Next question. Nick, who is the vice president? Mike Pence. Great. Wes, good job. <laughs> 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 I knew you knew it. Okay. And I knew you really, knew you're it. supposed to double blind this. We're both supposed to like, turn it off and answer questions. Yeah. And come yeah. Back and answer I questions. need that soundproof booth. Okay. Nick, what document is the supreme law of the land? I would say the Constitution. Wes, do you concur? I would agree that the Constitution I is. agree. That is correct. Okay. Good. Um, let's see. What's my other question? Oh, what is the economic system in the United States? Nick. Uh, can you rephrase the question? Like, what type of economy do we have here in the U.S.? Oh, I mean, I would call it a free market economy up until recently. Okay. Wes? Uh, capitalism? Both are correct. I would have accepted either answer. Good job, boys. Last question. How many U.S. senators do we have? Ooh. Well, that's easy. Well, I mean, it's, it's it's two per state, but does does Puerto Rico have representation? And No. Yeah, so I would say 100. Okay. They have representatives. Yeah. You no, just had no, help from another teammate? Not yeah. allowed? Well, I would, I would say 100. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, 100 is correct. So you guys did really good. That's all my questions. The first question was, the answer was 27. 27. I was 26. I was one off. You were close. Nick got closest without going over. Yeah, I mean, that's why I win the price price is right. Okay, so. Let me look at this Wikipedia article about that. I I, I did fail that. Literally, I made an F on that test uh, because I didn't study. Um. And honestly, I couldn't have probably answered that one. I don't think so. I did ask my senior in high school. I asked him these questions when I woke him up Tell this me morning. He knew Mike Pence, right? <laughs> he did. Okay. He knew a lot of them actually. Okay. Good, good. Um, but I woke him up with these questions, and at first he just like gave me a funny look. But as I got to like question four, he like was sitting up, like he was like ready for the next one. He was like, "Why are you doing this? Give me another one. Give me another one." I was like, <laughs> "I'm asking because a recent article states that." Obviously, our civic. Oh, you mean there's a reason? Yes, doing there's this. a reason for my game today, guys. This oh. was just this was just my teacher hook. Okay. So you're hooked okay. now. Uh-huh. So here it is. Um, but basically, we're low in civics awareness and knowledge across the nation. Students, adults, mostly adults. Um, kind of reminds anyone, me. Does anyone hear a bird? Um, no. <laughs> there's no bird in here. But whenever you're talking, there's a chirp, like. Like the, it's like the treble, like anything that's above a certain register. No, no, I'm hearing like, like a, a, listen. 
What was that? Oh, what was that? It's Russ. It's got to be Russ. We don't have a bird. There it is. Oh, it's that, okay. That was a bird. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> wow. And it is really far away. Like it is in the, like my office, for those of you at home, I'm sure you're cutting all this out. Oh, my boy. office is in a, an office park called the Woodlands and it lives up to its name. Like I'm surrounded by the woods. So. All right. I may well, keep some of this in there. We can't do anything about the bird, Nick. We have to go Let's on. Let's go. Let's go. We'll just, we'll just, we got to keep it in. Let's go. It's just a bird. Uh, it's just a bird. Okay. I'm just so thankful it's not a mouse. <laughs> I was like looking around the room. But basically, every question I asked you guys comes from the naturalization test. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a push right now. 27 states are saying that this is not good enough. There's a lot of arguing um, on media and fake news and all this stuff. And they're saying a lot of it just comes down to ignorance where people just don't understand how the whole thing works and all the different parts come together and why we have laws and civil rights and all these things. So they're thinking that they need to extend curriculum to the lower elementary. Our apathy in the political climate, they're going to step up their game now in civics. That's what they're saying. Yes. They're thinking that, um, that, that the electorate elect, uh, I never say that right. Electorate. The, the electorate is. Mm-hmm. What? They're thinking the electorate is not educated enough to yeah. make decisions one way or another. And then all the arguing and negativity that's out there. Then I think what they're saying is if we're going to be a stronger nation, we, we can't divide more. We've got to have basic understanding of what a democracy is and how it works. And it starts with the children. And so they're they're wanting to expand into lower grades. There's also uh, Florida just passed um, statewide in universities that you have to pass the the same naturalization test that an immigrant would take. That right. you also have to get a seventy percent or above um, to be able to. I think I think the way they have it is you'll have to take a course at the college level mm-hmm. or you can test out of it. I know Missouri has that. A lot of high school programs are offering an extra half Carnegie unit across the nation, Twenty, I think 27 states, yeah. for an extra civics course. Did you guys take a U.S. history course in high school? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So did yeah. So, so did I. I mean, but it was a, but it was a nine weeks course, which right. I think is uh, far too short. No, I think when I was... I can't remember. I remember I grew up in Virginia, and, and Virginia, yeah, yeah, and there was a lot of government, a lot of American they, history. There they, was they take uh, they take being one of the early states, right? Very. Well, very we had we had a full year on just Virginia <laughs> history, and and of course that all ties into a lot of you know. Well, every state well. has a year on their state history, and right. they have a Not year that they they tag it. What Mississippi does yeah. fifth grade? Mississippi has Mississippi history, but it is a nine week course. Uh, they they take Mississippi history and U.S. history. And at least I was a four by four schedule. So maybe that was different. Right, and that, that makes but, it different. But I do know in fifth grade, you're required to teach in your history courses. In fifth grade, you have to touch on Mississippi studies. Well, I'm all for gotcha. it. I say bring on the civics and, and bring on the quizzes because I think I, I think I did kind of beat Russ on that one. Y'all know. did great. I, you, I knew y'all did. would do you, great. You were clo- much closer to the amendments. But, you know, especially if you're doing the high-low prices right rules, then you definitely would have won. <laughs> 
I'll take I should it. have. I'm sorry. So I, I should have let had a buzzer and let yeah. Nick take you I, down, I a, Russ. <laughs> I had a quick thought about what you were mentioning, and I know that we're kind of running short on time here, but I did want to say that an, an uninformed electorate makes us a vulnerable democracy. Absolutely. And I, I think we're seeing a lot of that right now, that the people that are like people get their civics lessons from people screaming at each other on television. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that's, I, I, in fact, it's not that I don't know. I know that that's unhealthy for our government. It's not healthy for our democracy. Right. And I think that the reason why people are able to, um, you know, drive us apart, you know, they're kind of talking about how there is no middle now, there's just one side or the other. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that people really don't understand the basis of government. They don't understand how a bill becomes a law. They don't understand the separation of powers. They don't understand this, the foundational nature of our, our republic, really, not even a democracy. I'm pretty sure that, I mean, I look on Facebook and I'm not slamming my classmates, but a lot of the same people I went to school with probably couldn't tell you how a bill becomes a law either. So I think there's a question of how to make it stick, that this this is the foundation of our democracy. This is how it works. And this is how we're different from other countries. And I don't know that that gets across as much in the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, um, I'm always lurking in the um, school status Slack room, which is like their chat room. I don't know, we're just, I'm kind of in there like listening. And, uh, Stalker. Yeah. And, uh, I, think I, your pre- I think your profile says resident lurker, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think, I think so. Gosh. And uh, yesterday um, there was a story posted in there that really uh, had the, the chat room abuzz. And it was right in line with education. And uh, Russ, I'm going to let you take it from here. Yeah. So there was an article, and I'm the one that kind of kicked the hornet's nest a little bit. But uh, it was an NPR. I'm an NPR listener. And um, there was a, an article that was on NPR. It was talking about overparenting, mm-hmm. kind of helicopter parenting, and whether it's good for kids or whether it's not. And it, it kind of kicked off a very honest discussion in our company about you know, how to raise kids that are fully formed adults, you know? And the question basically is like, have you ever paid your kid to get good grades? Have you ever done your college student's laundry? Um, Did you, have you ever helped a kid complete a college um, admission, like a college application? Have you ever helped them write a paper? Yeah. The question is, have you guys ever done that? I have never helped my child write a paper. I have sat alongside my son as he's filling out college applications right now um, just to make sure he doesn't do anything incorrect, but it's his job to do it. Um, you know, he ha- he definitely has questions, you know, like, well, sure. what does this mean here? And what do I put here? What is FAFSA? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so, yes, I've, I've definitely not done some of those things that I think are across the line, but probably because I'm a teacher, I know the importance of he's got to know how to do this himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, but I may be considered more of a helicopter parent in other ways when it comes to um, definitely, you know, like I, I still make um, my <laughs> soon to be seniors lunch for school. <laughs> Um, I do it because he, he plays two sports and I am so concerned about him not eating enough. And Mm -hmm. I know that he, um, is, he is kind of a particular eater. And so I try to make sure that I pack enough because I'm scared that he just won't eat. He's a little bit like me to where he just won't eat. Um, if, if it's not something he's interested in. 
Well, I, I know your child. I think he's going to be fine either way. <laughs> they generally they generally eat one way or the other. Um, but the, there are two books that this article is about. One is called How to Raise an Adult, Break Free of the Overparenting Trap and Prepare Your Kid for Success. And it's by Julie Lithcott Haynes. And there's a second book that they talked about called The Gift of Failure, which I've ordered both of these books. I've not read them yet. but the I like the title is, of the second one. I really mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, yeah. How the Best Parents Learn to Let Their let go so their children can succeed. And that's by Jessica Leahy. And so I'm going to read the book and I have a feeling that my entire exec team is going to end up reading both books because that's generally the way that goes. But basically it's saying that the gist of it, it was a, this was an interview with both of the, um, uh, both of the authors of that, of those books. And it talked about, you know, how schools are kind of playing into um, this dynamic, right? So, um, this is, a, this is what I find interesting. Yeah, like schools are kind of at fault, you're saying. Yep. So um, teachers have come to accept that parents interfere and in co-op school projects and have begun to take that for granted when grading. And that was kind of surprising to me because my mom also was a teacher. And like there was my mom would help me with my homework and that she'd help me figure out something difficult. And then there was a time where she just didn't help anymore because I could do it on my own or I could ask somebody for help or something like that. But I can't, I mean, my mom never helped me create a project. Like, you know, maybe when I was a kid, you know, and I just couldn't. But like when I was in middle school or high school, like my mom was not helping out with my senior project. Like that was my responsibility to do that. But the fact that schools have, you know, kind of accepted this interference as something that is just going to happen and we can't do anything about it is really kind of crazy. So, Lisa, you're a teacher. What would you do if a student, you're an art teacher, they had an art assignment and they turned in an assignment that you felt was pretty obvious and an adult had had their hand in? Well, okay. So I have taught at a different school district than the one I'm at now where mm-hmm. I taught a course that was a gifted course because yep. I have my master's in gifted ed. So I, I taught a gifted course and there was a project that it involved maps and things like that. And it was just a project where we were learning about another place. And I could tell that the parent completed the project. The dad was a cartographer. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, it was very simple as far as like labeling a map, but you would have to use Google to look up this place yeah. and label mm-hmm. some mountain ranges. And, and this was a while back too. This was a while back yeah. a little bit. Well, there are a couple of things that on the school side and the teaching side that this interview suggested. And I, I wanted to go through a few of those on the school side. Let's start with that. Um, the, the guidelines were to stop blaming each other, right? Stop blaming parents and blaming parents, start blaming, te- stop blaming teachers for the phenomenon and start looking at ways to get kids to succeed, which seems a little fluffy. Stop worshiping grades, which I thought was really great. Like start focusing on learning and stop worrying about grades. There's so much great inflation anyway, that grades are, there's a incredibly loose correlation with grades and actual success. And so let's stop worshiping grades and start looking at like, what are, what is the child learning? Right. Instead of what are the outcomes? What is the, you know, the, the outcomes are supposed to be measuring like the, the assessments, the grades are supposed to be measuring what the student learned. Let's actually focus on what the student learned instead of idolizing these grades and then having a policy against parents doing the homework because a lot of schools don't and they kind of turn a blind eye to it that like as long as it's getting done, 
no harm, no foul. And the truth is, is that this article suggests is that kids become um, chronologically adults, but they are not really adults from a from a emotional, cognitive, you know, they don't know how to adult, right? So mm-hmm. like, like, and we see this sometimes. They don't know like how I, to like muddle through something they'd rather not do. They, they have don't know to do how it. to like persevere, right? Mm-hmm. If they encounter a little bit of resistance, then they don't know how to deal with that resistance because they've always had somebody doing this. On the parent side, I thought these were really good points. Like the first one, stop blaming each other, felt a little fluffy. I think it's important, but the parent side, these were definite. Stop saying we. Like stop saying it's our application or it's, you know, our school or our grades or anything like that and start saying it's yours, right? And stop arguing with other adults about that child. Let them, you know, you you want to walk a line here, but let them fend for themselves to some degree. If they have a disagreement, like whenever I was in school, if I had a disagreement with an adult, there was a 99% chance that my mom was going to side with the adult, even mm-hmm. if she disagreed with the adult. Because it's important that that's the, I know. That's the worst when it first happens, too. It really like hits you upside the head as a kid. Sure. Like, I remember that yeah, happening, yeah. but but it's good. It's good for you. It needs to happen. Yeah, it really yeah. is. Like, you know, like my dad, I remember one time disagreeing very strongly with somebody, but he came down on me because I questioned them and it wasn't my role to do so. And he says, even if they're wrong, sometimes you've got to kind of suck it up and deal with it because you got to live in the world. Yeah, if it's like mm-hmm. a coach, a coach is bothering you or something and you go, well, he's your coach. Do you want to, yeah. do you want to play or not? You know, you got to live with this. Yeah, absolutely. So instead of like calling a parent teacher conference and saying, Hey, I want to have a problem, you know, like there, obviously there are rules here that, that like there are like there are lines, lines that, can be the sand that yeah. cannot be crossed. That's it. But you know, um, and I've got a good analogy that I came up with a second ago, but, and then the third is stop doing their homework, stop doing their homework. If they don't do their homework, let them fail. The analogy I like to use is, guardrails versus steering wheel, right? You can either be behind the wheel of your child's life and they're going to have a much more smooth experience, right? But they're never going to learn how to drive. But if you provide guardrails for them to keep them from going into a ditch, right? Some obvious things around drugs and drinking and, you know, making sure that, you know, you're successful in life and here are the things that you got to do and you got to work hard and you got to sweat it out sometimes, um, I think that those things are are very important. But what I did like is that the nomenclature has changed a little bit from being helicopter parent to overparenting. And I think overparenting is a little more of a relatable touch, yeah. you know, like like I I parent, but sometimes I can overparent. I like that because I think it kind of more accurately describes on what's going on. You Absolutely. Know? Are you ready for our bright idea? We've already sure. had some great bright ideas, but let's let's bring it <laughs> well, on. We are we are have a returning guest. Alyssa, you remember the uh, book See Me After Class by Roxana Elder? Yes, I love her. It's it's yes. an extremely popular book. Well, she has a new book coming out next week, and I just spoke with her all about it. And it looks, and actually, I got an advanced copy of the book too. So I didn't even tell you that. Why yet. do you get that? Well, I'll wow. <laughs> I can. I don't. If I'm allowed to. Send I love it, how you're like. Oh, sorry, Alyssa. Yeah. yeah. So so I I read it on the airplane. So like I am, and, and I'm not an educator. But it's entertaining. There's like relationships. Yes, and she's, she's great. She really is. It, it, she says it in the interview, but it's almost like the office. <laughs> for, teachers. for teachers. It's so true. Yeah. It's so true. So, stay tuned. Awesome. Our guest is the author of See Me After Class, the book that has become the must-read survival guide for teachers. Roxana Eldon has been featured on NPR, The New York Times, and The Washington Post. And she has a brand new book called Adequate Yearly Progress coming out on August 1st. Roxana Eldon. 
welcome back to the show. Thank you. I love being on this show. Oh, yeah, we really appreciate it. In fact, for those that don't know, you uh, were back on episode 13. Uh, I think it might be our most downloaded show of all time. So congratulations. Um, you, you. you apparently have a, a huge following. And uh, we are so excited about this new book that you have coming out. And I was fortunate enough to get an advanced copy. And I have to say, it is extremely entertaining. And, and I'm not a teacher. I think it's entertaining for anybody. W- was that your goal? It was. It's a novel. This is the main change from the last book is that this is a novel, right? Um, um, and it it is set in a school. But my goal was for it to be entertaining for anyone, kind of in the same way that the TV show The Office can be entertaining, even if you don't work in an office. That's funny that you say that because that's kind of what I was picking up as I was reading it. You have all these really colorful characters in there. Um, you've got this uh, one teacher who has her blog. You have the goody two-shoes teacher. You have the, the science teacher who um, seems brilliant but maybe doesn't always stay within inside the lines that he's supposed to stay within. Or you have this teacher from the Northeast who's a poet. Where did you come up with all these characters? None of the characters are based one-on-one on any real person. But each of them probably has input from about 50 real-life people plus some just imagination and research. Let's talk about this background on this book. What have you been up to between books? I mean, you had you had this big hit of a book a few years ago, and, and now you decided to, to kick out this other one. Have you been working on this book for a while? I have. Actually, shortly after See Me After Class came out, uh, I entered the National Novel Writing Month Challenge with my students. This is something where you write the first draft of a novel in one month in November. And I had always encouraged some of my high schoolers to um, to enter this to, it's not a competition, but to take on this challenge. And I would bribe them. I would offer them extra credit and pizza parties. And then shortly after See Me After Class came out, one of them said, well, how about you? You keep asking us to write this novel. How about you? So I realized that I had this big gap in my writing schedule and I, I needed another project. And so I sat down and I knocked out the first draft, but obviously it takes many, many drafts to get from first draft to final product. So that, that's how I started. And then a lot of it is, was just in the classroom. I would come up with ideas and quickly email myself and then gather the emails on the weekend and start writing, writing them into a story. The book takes place um, in Texas, a kind of a lower income school district. Um, you're from Florida though, right? Like why did, why Texas for you? I started my teaching career in Texas, in Houston, actually. And the majority of the time that I've been teaching, it has been in Miami. But there's something about Texas that has really stuck with me. Um, I'm originally from Chicago, so there were a lot of things that I noticed about the culture there and about uh, just the way that people interacted with each other that I was seeing as a newcomer. And... I, I just kind of has a place in my heart um, to this day. You just said something that, that raises a question for me. The main character in the book, she uh, is from the Northeast, but from Philadelphia. And then she comes down to Texas to teach. Uh, you just said you're from Chicago. Then you came down to Texas. Uh, is, mm-hmm. is she reflective of, of you? I will say I, I actually want to be very careful to say that none of the characters in the book are secretly me. And there's also little bits of myself that are probably spread throughout all the characters. But what I do have in common with this teacher from Philadelphia is that she is seeing Texas and this school 
from the point of view of somebody from out of town. And there's always a different perspective that you get if you're not from the area. That outsider perspective also helps the reader understand what they're looking at. Because there, wherever you're from, there are so many things that you take for granted about being there. That it does take the description of somebody who's from out of town to even be able to point things out. So I, I have that in common with her. I don't want to give too much away, but but the book kind of starts off where um, the school is faced with change. There's this new superintendent that that comes into the picture, um, and I think it's fair to say that the entire district maybe is a little skeptical. That kind of talk about the background of the superintendent, if you can. The superintendent is kind of a, a political celebrity with ideas about education strong ideas about education, but not necessarily a background working in schools, which is a character that if you've worked in schools for long enough, you're probably familiar with. Why did you feel it was important to tell this as a novel and not just, you know, hey, here's some advice and and here's what's going on and actually have a story tied to it? Well, it probably comes from me liking this type of novel. So I've always been a fan of Tom Wolfe, Zadie Smith, Elisa Valdez Rodriguez, What those three authors have in common is uh, two of them were former journalists and one of them clearly does like a journalism level of research before she writes. Uh, They're all very funny and they all work from the point of view of multiple characters. And by the end, you really have a picture of this world that they're trying to create in a way that you would never get from filtering through just one person. So when I, had a chance to sit down for National Novel Writing Month. I just thought, I want to write the book that one of these authors would write if they worked in a school. Your, your last book, I kind of described it as a survival guide, but but what do you, what's the takeaway that you're hoping to get from Adequate Yearly Progress? It's hard to say in the, It's hard to say what you want the takeaway to be of a novel in the same way that you can say it for a um, nonfiction book. That's one of the things I've learned. In, in the process of switching from nonfiction to fiction. With nonfiction, a lot of it is about prescription, telling people what to do. Whereas with a novel, a lot of it is about description. You just want people to have an accurate picture and uh, enjoy reading, enjoy the read, because nobody finishes a novel if they don't enjoy it. I guess there's a lot of comedy in the book as I read it. Um, and there's a lot of things that maybe teachers will relate to. It almost seemed like there, I don't know if this was intended, but maybe there was an ongoing joke about the uh, intercom, the PA interrupting teachers all the time. Um, do you think teachers will, will relate to that, to the comedy? Do you find that that's what they found in the first book that they liked? I hope so. I do hope so. I hope that a thread in my books is, honesty and humor kind of describe the the work that you had to do to to make this book come together did was it a lot of research there was a lot of writing letting it sit for a while looking at what was connecting and what wasn't and then often i would write an outline and then kind of put the parts back into that outline to make sure that all the characters were bouncing off each other in it you know, creating a good sense of cause and effect. And, you know, it's a lot of it is what you tell students to do as an English teacher. So you, you write it, you give it to somebody else, you get their opinion on it, you decide what you're going to keep from their opinion and go back to it. You work with a lot of schools. um, And, and I know that you probably have seen things even change over the past few years. But 
But what's the constant theme that you're seeing in schools right now? What's kind of the gripe that you're hearing from teachers and administrators? I'm, I'm very hesitant to try to pin it to this year because, first of all, the, the book was written not, not with this year in mind. But I would say that there's more of a cycle of how change happens within the school district. And this is actually not my idea. This is an idea that I got from reading a book called The Teacher Wars by Dana Goldstein, which is a nonfiction book. And she refers to this as the hype disillusionment cycle, which is whatever the great next idea is, there is something good about it. But then it gets overhyped, oversold, done wrong in many cases, or overdone or done in the wrong way, and falls short of expectations. And then people are disillusioned with it. So then they think, oh, it's a terrible idea. We need to do something brand new. But often it's a case of just, you know, maybe don't go all in on this new idea. Maybe take the the best parts of it and get a little bit of input from teachers. Because I think teachers see where things are going to fall flat a little bit ahead of the rest of the population that's that's just hearing stories about it. When you say that, the, the superintendent is almost reflective of that in your book. Is that what you were going for? I would say that he's a pretty good he's a pretty good character to watch if you want to see how that plays out. He's definitely all in on his ideas. Adequate yearly progress. Why that title? Well, for any teacher, you've heard it a million times. Uh, it's an initiative that a national initiative that's been around for about twenty years now, and so it rings a bell for teachers. But also, when I've said this phrase to non-teachers they do sense something from it that's a little bit humorous, a little bit jargony and sarcastic. And also I've had a few people tell me, yeah, isn't that what we're all going for? Don't we all want to make an adequate amount of progress each year? And I would say, yes, we do. Um, well, I, I could go on and on about the book, but I don't want to give away too much. I want people to actually go and get it. But but the characters in this book are are really phenomenal. You really relate to a lot of different people in different ways. Um, and, and I see, you know, just even people that we've interviewed on the show, I see people who are similar to some of these characters. And, and there's some characters mm-hmm. that you just almost feel sorry for. And I don't want to give away anything. But I think with the principal, I, I was very sympathetic towards him in, in the book. Um, was that your goal? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would hope that readers would feel empathy for all of the characters, um, especially all of the characters who have chapters from their point of view. Um, The principal, I thought, was a a character that I personally have empathy for. I don't like to portray things as teachers versus administrators. I think often we're all in the game together. Um, But also, the principal has access to a little bit more information about how the entire school system works and how administrators sometimes have to be a cushion between the politics of the larger education system and the teachers who work in their schools. So he definitely felt the responsibility to do that. And, you know, in some cases you could argue he doesn't do it the best possible way, but we we all don't do things in the best possible way sometimes. Uh, again, the book is Adequate Yearly Progress by Roxana Eldon. Uh, Roxana, if somebody wants to keep up with you, what's the best way to do that? Just head to your website or you do you like Twitter? How, how should we find you? I am on Twitter at Roxana Eldon. And if you visit my website, RoxanaEldon.com, you can also sign up for a monthly newsletter geared to either educators or writers. 
that will allow me to keep in touch and let you know what's going on. Well, again, congratulations on the book. Uh, it's going to be available. Gosh, um, it's going to be next week, so it's August 1st, um, and I'm sure you can find it on Amazon. Can you purchase it through your website, or, or where else is a good place to find the book? You can buy it wherever books are sold, and there are definitely purchase links on my website to all the different re- retailers. Well, again, uh, congrats. I'm so excited for you. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. We want to hear from you, so if you want to send us an idea or a comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So if you like what you heard today, please be sure and hit that subscribe button, and we'd also love it if you'd leave us a five-star review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash classdismissedpodcast or on Twitter to search for us by typing in Class Dismiss. On behalf of Russ with School Status and Lissa representing all the teachers out there, I'm Nick Ortega. Go, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.